my name is Dan, uh, Dan Song, and I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration, and it's good to be together here on Easter morning as we celebrate our risen Savior. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. And as you turn there, if you've been with us, maybe this is your first time here, over the last seven weeks, we've been looking at the last words of Jesus from the cross to be able to understand the purpose and why he went to the cross to die for us and his creation. Well, this morning as we come together, we are celebrating the fact that our, our Savior has rose from the dead, that he has put death to death. And so we're not going to hear any more words of death, but rather this morning we're hearing the first words of the resurrected Jesus. Not the last words, but the first words and why it matters for you and for me. And so we want to be able to do that together. So if you have a Bible or if you don't, we also have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. If you're investigating in the faith, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're other than Christian here this morning. We're glad you're with us. And we have Bibles provided for you, so grab one of those and you can turn to page 906, 906. And if you want, you can take that Bible with you. Uh, if you have questions, you want to know more about this Jesus, we want you to take that Bible with you so that you could learn more of this risen Savior that we worship together. So let's read, follow along with me, and we'll read these nine verses, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why or whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word to us this morning, that we no longer go to a tomb that is not empty, but that it is empty. And your heart beats and your blood has begun to flow on that beautiful Easter morning that we get to celebrate not only every single Sunday, but here especially on this Easter Sunday. So Lord, speak to us, transform us, so that we might become a little more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had a friend share with me uh, some years ago that when he went on a business trip, his plane had got delayed in Puerto Rico. And so because his plane was delayed and it was going to be an indefinite number of hours, he parked himself in a row of seats, about a six block of chairs that were empty, that he thought he could just kind of find himself parked there and work on his laptop. So he parks himself there and buries his head in his work. Not that long after, 
a group of five guys doesn't sit anywhere else but in his six block of chairs with my friend and the five empty chairs. So as he's working, he looks up, stares at all the empty chairs all around the airport, and thinks it's a little strange that these men have chosen to sit with him in the six blocks of, six blocks of chairs. But he doesn't think anything of it and decides to continue to work. Now as he's working, these men are hungry, so then they go to what he says is the worst Chinese fast food restaurant in the world, Manchu Walk. <laughs> I'm sorry if you love that place. And another guy who gets Sabaro's pizza. And so he smells Chinese food, pizza, and five other guys sitting with him while he's trying to work. Now, as they're eating, two airline workers comes over to this group and says, can I take a picture with you? And so these five guys say, sure. And so they take a picture with him and they leave. And then over the next hour, one after the other, people come to ask to take pictures with these five guys. And my friend's like, what is going on? Who are these people? And it's not until this dad and this son come up to these five guys and says, my son loves you, Jay-Z. For an hour, my friend had no idea that he was sitting with Jay-Z and his entourage for an hour. And here's the kicker. He didn't really believe it. So he takes out his phone, Googles Jay-Z, looks at him, looks at the phone, and goes, that's Jay-Z. <laughs> now, why do I share this story? Similarly here, Mary had no idea that the person she was talking to was Jesus himself. I mean, she thinks he's the gardener because she's in the garden. And she asks him questions like, where did you put the body? And even then, she had no idea. But when does she get it? When Jesus calls her name, Mary. These first words of Jesus transforms her life forever. And that's what I want to look at this morning. How do these words transform her? And what's the implications for us the first thing we have to see here as we hear Jesus call her name is that Jesus challenges all of her expectations. Look here, as we, as we opened up in this reading, Mary is weeping at the tomb, but this isn't the first time that she was at the tomb. She was there a lot earlier on that Sunday morning, on that Easter day. Why? To prepare Jesus' body, the one that she loved. On Good Friday when Jesus died, it was much too quick for her to be able to prepare his body. All they had time to do was bury him. And so they bury him, but she comes back on that early morning to prepare his body. She was expecting not an empty tomb. And I think some of us here this morning might be more like Mary than we think. We think that when we come on Sunday morning, the tomb is not empty. We might think of this, this resurrection Easter Sunday as one that's more metaphorical, right? That we want to see dead things come to life, that there's hope in this world. But here at Restoration, what we believe is that Jesus truly rose from the dead. Now, I think there's this myth that we think that when we compare ourselves to ancient times, we go, well, we're more sophisticated, we're smarter, we're more advanced. We have science on our side. And there's no way that Jesus could have resurrected. But in the Gospels, do you know that nobody, 
Nobody. His closest friends, the Jews, the Romans, no one had a worldview, a framework to think that there could be a resurrection in the middle of history. And here, Mary and the disciples don't think that otherwise. We are similar to Mary. But what changed? It was when Jesus calls her name. And in that instant, she believes that this is Jesus, the risen one from the dead. And for the disciples, what changed, what transformed their skeptical, naive, gullible minds? It was that they saw him. They ate with him. They drank with him. They touched his body. And over the Gospels and in the accounts of the New Testament, there are so many records and accounts where they literally saw Jesus. There's one account that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 where where they say 500 people at one time saw Jesus. And their eyewitness accounts matters. Now, I know some of us here are like Mary going to the tomb, coming to church here on that Sunday morning and going, it's not empty. I'm expecting a dead Jesus. But what I'm here for is just to be able to feel good, to think about metaphorically what this means for us. But do you know, even amongst secular historians, when you look at history and the evidence that shows, even secular and Christian historians believe that what was seen had to be factual. Listen to some of these scholars. Dr. Sanders from Duke University, he wrote the book, The Historical Figure of Jesus. He's a New Testament scholar. He believes Jesus lived, and most do, but that there was no way the resurrection was possible. But listen to what he says. I do not regard deliberate fraud as a worthwhile explanation. Many of the people in these lists of witnesses were to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming that they had seen the risen Lord, and several of them would die for their cause, meaning it was sincere, That Jesus' followers and later Paul had resurrection experiences is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to the experiences, I do not know. So in other words, what, what Sanders and others would say is that they would accept the fact that these things have had to have happened. They saw what they saw and were sincere. These are the records of history. Historians can't explain it away or or are they called to. Rather, it comes down to what you believe about God and about nature. Geza Vermes, probably the greatest Jesus scholar of all time, who's not a Christian, he's a secular historian, In his book, The Resurrection, this is what he says as he talks about the resurrection. We have the kind of historical evidence a resurrection would leave behind, and more evidence pointing in that direction than we would expect if it were a fraud, a mistake, or legend. But how we interpret that evidence depends not on these historical considerations, because they have to be true, but on our background beliefs about God and nature. You see, secular historians to Christian historians, almost all, 90% believe that what was accounted for, what was recorded, has to be factual. So it comes down to what you believe about God and nature. Mary had no idea that the resurrection could be possible. She goes there expecting a dead Jesus, but encounters an empty tomb. 
And when she hears Jesus call her name, her life is transformed, and she believes for the first time that Jesus has risen from the grave. My question for us is, do you hear your name? Do you hear your name being called this morning because the risen Savior has conquered death, put death to death, and has won the victory, and death does not have the final word? Her Jesus was too small. And as he calls her name, her expectations are blown out of the water. He's alive. But not only does he challenge her expectations of being too small of a God, Jesus also meets her in her sorrows when he calls her name. Remember her tears? Overwhelming grief. She could not stop crying and the tears from flowing. The angels asked, why are you crying? Jesus asked, why are you crying? She cannot stop crying. The disciples leave the grave because it's empty. But Mary is staying there because of her love and the devotion to Jesus. And she's wondering, and she's wondering how could someone steal this body? It was the grief of someone who had come face to face with the chaos of death in their lives, and in their world. And it's the same kind of death or same kind of grief and the, the crying and the tears that we experience as well as we watch the news of the bloodshed and war happening in Ukraine, happening in the Middle East, in the conflicts that are happening around the world. The addictions that some of us have, have faced that isolate you from your community and from your family. It's the tears of depression and darkness that overwhelm you with anxiety and despair. It's the tears of friends that have succumbed to death. It's the tears of illness and disease. It's the tears that flow from abuse, from past abuse that paralyzes you. We all experience grief and sorrow, much like Mary. And Mary experienced these tears as well, not just because she lost her Savior, Jesus, but she's crying and she has tears from her entire life. Luke's gospel account talks about how she was possessed with seven demons in her. And it's Jesus who casts her out and frees her and rescues her. Tradition actually talks about, church history talks about how Mary from Magdala was a prostitute. And if you were given that name from Magdalene, you didn't want that because that had negative connotations, much like Mary. And so when you look at Mary's life, filled with tears in this moment, you're also remembering her life was a mess, filled with torment, abuse, and brokenness. And it was Jesus who healed her and restored her. No wonder the tears are flowing. No wonder she's grieving. So much grief for the death and loss of the love of the one she loved so much. The last time she saw her was when she buried him in the grave. And so she cries. And it's this sort of sorrow for what pains us and grieves us. Right? Death seems to always get the last word. Death always seems to get the last word. Death always seems to be the end of the story. Who's going to wipe away her tears? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus wipes away her tears when he calls her name. The deep grief turns to elated joy. 
So much joy that you know what she does? She clings to him and doesn't want to let him go because he's come alive again. And she clings so much to him. It's kind of like when my friend saw Jay-Z, you know what he did? He was hungry and needed to go get food. He had to use a bathroom at the airport. But guess what he does? He just remains. He stays in the six block of chairs with Jay-Z and his entourage because this will be the last time he probably ever gets to be this close to such a celebrity. And Jay-Z didn't even talk to him. But Jesus calls her name. Jesus calls her name. And her tears turn to joy. Her despair turns to rejoicing. This is what happens when Jesus calls our name. Do you hear his voice? The resurrected one calls your name to meet you in your grief because the man of sorrows has overcome death for you and speaks your name. Maybe you have friends, classmates, family who are experiencing unending sorrow, deep grief. One scholar said it this way, don't rush it. Tears have their own natural rhythm. Hold them, the people, the tears as you stand outside the tomb, and then when the moment is right, stoop down and look into the tomb itself. Be prepared for a surprise and hear his voice calling their name. Jesus meets us in our sorrow and in our crying and in our grief when he calls your name. But there's one more thing that we see happen when Jesus utters his first words and calls Mary's name. He gives her a new identity. He gives her a new identity. Now, why I say that is because look at verse 17. As, as Mary's clinging to Jesus, not wanting to let him go, he says, you got to stop clinging. you got to let me go because I have unfinished work to do before I ascend, to my, uh, ascend into heaven to my Father. But listen to what he says. He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Do you know before Jesus' death and resurrection, do you know what Jesus would refer to for those that follow Jesus? He would say friend. He would call them servants. He would call them disciples. But this is the first time he says brother and sister. Because why? My God is your God. And my father now is your father because of what I have accomplished here once and for all. I have overcome death and death is no more. And you have a new identity. You are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of the living king and nothing can ever change that. This is your new identity, Mary. He gives us a new identity. N.T. Wright, an Anglican bishop, As he reflects on this account, he says, the disciples are welcomed into a new world, a world where they can know God the way Jesus knew God, where they can be intimate children with their father. See, we were enemies. We were in bondage and captive to sin and to the things that will kill us and leads to death. But he frees us. Through his overcoming death, putting death to death, we are freed and we are no longer enemies we are children of the king. So when, Mary call, when Jesus calls Mary, she knows immediately who Jesus is. But here's the thing. She also knows who she is because Jesus calls her name Mary. What I mean by that is this. We have so many names. 
We have so many identities, right? We live in a cultural moment where we are proud that we are our own. We belong to nobody but me, myself, and I, right? I mean, we are proud of that. We are independent, fierce. Nothing can do that to us. But that's just a lie. Because if you, are, you love social media, you live for your work, you live for your marriage, children, for financial success, those things need to be witnesses to those things. And so you have so many names. You do not belong to yourself, but you actually belong to everybody else that enslaves you. Think about it. If you live for your work, your work will name you. Right now it might be success, but tomorrow it might be failure. You live for relationships, and your relationships will name you. You live for your children, and your children will name you. And I've heard some nasty things from my children. (laughs) You might live for social media and being an influencer and trying to be this great YouTube star. But those things will name you when you look at all the comments that are written. You see, we have so many names and identities, but here Jesus names us. And we have a new identity that can never change. It is unconditional love. When the worst is known about us, what do I say? Love is still offered, but here we see love is still offered and we are given a name. Diane Langberg, a psychologist um, who specializes in trauma, when she gave a talk, she asked this question, so what is your name? What is your name? Think about that for a moment. What are the names given to you? The names that usually are given to us is the things that we have done or the things that have been done to us. It could be positive, it could be negative. But usually those things are things such as abuse, pornography, divorce, lost jobs, not being admitted to certain schools, illnesses, infertility, miscarriage, and and so much more. And so what do our names become? Our names become things like unworthy, unclean, unintelligent, illogical, unstable, loser, failure, rejected, demeaned, trashed, outcast, sinner, unloved. And we are bowed down by the weight of these names we've been given and the stories that come with them. And we hide. We hide because of the deep shame that overwhelms us with the names that we've been given and that we identify ourselves with. But here's the good news. Jesus calls your name and says your identity is no longer in these things, but in what he has done for you once and for all. He has overcome death to bring you life, freedom, victory, glory, honor, and dignity. Jesus' first resurrection words matter for you and for me. He calls your name holy, blameless, worthy, accepted, beautiful, honored with glory, splendid, and worth all of the suffering and the pain, agony, and shame and guilt that he endured to be able to call you his own. And that can never be taken away from you. His work is all that matters. He died and conquered death for us. I need to hear that every day because I believe the lies that are told about me and the names given to me. And I think you do too. We need to remember the name that Jesus has called us by. Diane Langberg, as she reflected on Jesus' work, this is what she said. 
quote, he too was named naked, the stripped one, so that we could be clothed in righteousness. He went in and took your name on himself so that he might bring you out and give you his name. He entered your rejection so that you might be chosen, your humiliation so that you might be honored, ridiculed so that you might be precious. What is your name? Remember, so that it will point you to him and what he has done and follow him wherever he goes, unquote. Jesus went to the places of sorrow and grief and darkness and disease and death so we might know who we are in Jesus. We are loved. We're his beloved. We are more than conquerors because of what Christ has done for you and for me. Go to him. Go to him and know that you belong to him. Drown out all the other noise that you hear and hear for his name that calls you name this morning. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your death on the cross, but more importantly, your victory over death. Death does not have the last word, but you have risen from the dead so that we might experience victory might experience glory, and be able to hear you call our name. So, Lord, I pray that wherever we are at, Lord, remove the noise of all the different names that we believe, all the lies that are told. But, Lord, may we come to you knowing, God, that you call us sons and daughters of the King who has risen from the grave. We thank you for that work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.